Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, start playing. You got that wired for sound? What are you doing here? I'm having a little conversation. You're listening to a radio station. Every wire, every airway. Headphones, Bradley. Bradley. Lord, I just want to talk some more. No, Brad's a machine. Oh, he really means it, Brad. Headphones, Bradley. You're on the air. Lord, I just want to talk some more. Call 617-254-1030 to join in. Because he's a man on Jay talking. That busy man, Jay Talk Show. I want to talk to him, tell him the way things are. On WBZ. WBZ News Radio 1030. You are Jay talking. Bradley Jay is your host. Mark Lavallo, he's the producer. Tonight's guest is Adam Swamp Thing Belmar. And his, his resume is too long to go into, but one of the shining jewels in it is the fact that in 2007, President George W. Bush appointed Adam Assistant to the President and Deputy Director of Communications for Production. And that makes him the White House Production Chief. Adam, how are you? It's good to talk to you, Bradley J. It's good to talk to you. Do you mind that I use the sobriquet that we we kind of settled on, Swamp Thing? Maybe we should explain that. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about the swamp, we're talking about D.C. and politics. And usually you and I will have long conversations about the uh, idiosyncrasies of D.C. politics. And we thought we'd bring it here to WBZ. Yeah. You know, sometimes I, I head down to D.C. and... I swing by Adam's office. He's got these really cool offices. And later on in the show, we'll talk about what he does. Well, actually, you know, uh, we'll talk about it really soon. But first, I want to ask you about your time as White House Production Chief. What did you do as White House Production Chief? What were you in charge of? Well, you know, this president, Donald Trump, sees the world as a large television show. And I think a lot of people, especially listeners of this broadcast, realize that it's sort of a reality TV show. But the truth is that anytime you're on a stage like the White House in any presidency, it is a, a show that's being seen by the world through a lens, whether that's a still camera or a video camera. And so my job uh, as deputy communications director was to make sure that every television interview, every speech, every foreign trip – Everywhere the president went, we were matching his message with his image and trying to make sure that the stagecraft was professional and first rate. All right. So that included state visits and uh, state visits to the White House and state trips out into other countries and all kinds of things that we're probably not even aware of. What are some of the things that happened at the White House that we're not even aware of that you had to make sure looked correct, looked right? Well, you know, every time the president of the United States decides that uh, that he's going to speak to the world, wherever that is and at whatever time it is, no matter whether he's in Africa or Europe, here in the United States, away from the White House, or God forbid, in, in the case of an attack like we found with George W. Bush in 2001, uh, it's the job of the communications team behind the scenes 
to be able to put that together. Um, and that means working with the national press. And there's a great deal of logistics to it. But in the end, uh, you have these great professionals at the White House and even at the network newscasts that uh, that help put this story on the air every night, Bradley. Yeah. So this president really bypasses a lot of that, right? And do you happen to know the current chief, uh, production person? And are they are they throwing up their hands in despair because they are getting passed over? We know it's funny. The uh, the Trump White House, for all of its focus on the optics of television and the drama of uh, their star, our president, uh, they put very little thought and very little execution into their stagecraft. And so it's something that they've largely ignored. And it, it, it's interesting to me, and I wanted to bring this up with you tonight, that as the president is preparing for this summit with the North Korean leader, uh, we have no expectation that this is going to be uh, a grand state summit. We don't know where it's going to be, but we can we can be sure of one thing: this president is going to be uh, flying by the seat of his pants. And I think everyone needs to put their chin strap on because this has been a bumpy ride of late. Yeah. So, what does the production chief do now since most messages go through Twitter? I think most of the people who are trying to advise the president on communications are out of the loop. And it's difficult. I'll tell you, it's not, uh, it's not a job that, that would be fun for anyone at this point. So are they just uh, but, making paper airplanes and playing Twister and things and just killing time there? Well, I'm sure they're trying their best. Best laid plans are usually upended uh, at the beginning of the day by tweets or events that don't get uh, put on. It's funny, I saw some folks who had worked on an event around uh, infrastructure, a really important policy point for President Trump. And that event got canceled. Things got moved around. The president's uh, priorities changed swiftly after a month of planning. And ultimately, they used that at an event in Pittsburgh last week where the president uh, was nominally talking about infrastructure and, and sort of wandered off into, into politics. But, you know, they are trying. And it's important, quite honestly, at a time when, uh, there's so much tumult in Washington that people have some idea of what the president's actually trying to work towards, Bradley. And some of that comes through messaging. And that, that I think, is something that the White House Communications Department, certainly as a communications chief, uh, that, that I always focused on in the White House. All right. You have some real insight into what Sarah Huckabee must be going through. What This has got to be particularly difficult for her, correct? Or is she just uh, magically good at this kind of thing? Well, I don't know her personally, but I, I've seen White House press secretaries. Uh, I was a journalist before I entered the White House, and I've sat on the other side of that briefing uh, for ABC News. But I have to say, it's a particularly difficult job when the story is changing and, and, and you really are, are tasked with speaking with the or for the president, and in some cases, not really getting a chance to speak to the president. We get a sense from her that she does get good access to this president, and that's a great thing. Um, you know, I don't know that, that she's the best press secretary I've ever seen, but I think she does a great job of putting her best foot forward every day, and that's really the best test of someone. And, it, and it's hard to work for this president, but I don't I don't have any personal animus towards her. I think she's doing a fine job. Yeah, really. she's she's doing a good job 
in really difficult circumstances. He's pretty unflappable. And I, I think it's important to point out that Adam is a conservative. People, you know, they look through political lenses at everything any of us says, Adam. So I think that's important to say that when you say, when you maybe give the idea that the president is making things difficult for people, that you're not some snowflake liberal. I mean, you're a conservative, and and I know that you want the president to do well. So, you, and And... When we hear this coming from a conservative, we know you're being sincere. Can we digress for one second? Yes. All right. I want to make a recommendation uh, to the Jay Talking audience. Uh, If you're interested, whether you like or don't like President Trump, there is a book out there that I just finished reading that I want to commend to all of you. And it's it's written by someone who's a New Englander. Uh, His name is Corey Lewandowski. He was uh, the president's first campaign manager. And he wrote a book with his fellow David Bossy, with whom they ran the campaign. It's called Let Trump Be Trump, the inside story of his rise to the presidency. And I think it is so instructive about what we're seeing now as he governs uh, to understand how he became president from the inside. And uh, that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. This is a very Donald Trump thing to do. Suddenly decide that this great American, a a hero and somebody I look up to and, and consider to be a friend, uh, when I was in the White House, suddenly put in charge of the second largest, uh, you know, cabinet post in the, in, the, in the nation with no management experience beyond the incredibly laudable uh, management of a, of a trauma hospital in Iraq during a time of war up near Fallujah with the second Marines. So he, he's unbelievable. Does that make him the best person for this post? I don't know, but I think there are a lot of senators up your way who have a lot of questions And, you know, there's one thing that's so telling. The Republican chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee of the United States Senate, a fellow by the name of Johnny Isaacson from Georgia, he said that he thought that Shulkin did a great job and that he was truly dedicated in service to the country and he'd been a part of everything that they'd accomplished. This is a Republican saying this about a Democratic appointee. The last sentence of the statement says, I look forward to meeting Admiral Jackson and learning more about him. Nobody, Bradley, knows anything about Ronnie Jackson up on Capitol Hill. I wonder what's going to happen with his confirmation. So this is consistent with uh, Trump's modus operandi. What is the common denominator between in his appointees? Is it just loyalty and that's it? You figure you can learn to do any job, but you can't learn loyalty. Is that the theory? Well, it's just hard to know in this case. It's not that this isn't a great guy. It's just hard to know what's in the president's mind when without consideration. And and that may be the most important thing. The the United States Constitution provides that the president can appoint uh, cabinet secretaries with the advice and consent of the United States Senate. But when when he starts tweeting out things that nobody's ever heard of, it's clear that he's not getting any, any advice. And it's very hard for me to see that the, the Senate is, including Republicans, are going to give consent, uh, even in this case where they want to support the president, to unqualified nominees. And I think, you know, the other thing that you and I were talking about that we wanted to talk about tonight is this upcoming summit with North Korea. Right. You know, it's hard to reconcile a very delicate negotiation like that that the president's going to undertake. No president has ever done this before, ever. Right, and he's going to go face to face with the North Koreans, while he's you know putting his his own personal doctor in charge of veterans' health care. 
it, it just begs the question of seriousness all of a sudden. So we see what appears to be mistake after mistake, yet approval ratings rise. Why is that? And at some point, will the chickens come home to roost? And what would that point be? Well, I'll tell you, uh, I think President Trump is seeing better numbers because he's, he's really being himself. And that's one of the reasons I brought that book up. When, when President Trump is allowed to sort of be who he wants to be and, and communicate the way that he wants to communicate, he seems to be embraced by all of the people who voted for him and, and maybe even more. I, 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 as a Republican, will clearly state I support almost all of the president's policies. I'm just questioning a whole lot of his choices lately. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, for, for the Jay talking audience, and I listen to the show too, guys, uh, you know, you almost have to call BS on some of this stuff and say, hey, you really got to talk to people before you start acting, you know, truly important. All right. Well, so far, there's really, he hasn't suffered greatly due to this. Maybe down the road, it will become clear that these bad choices uh, had some serious effects, but not yet. I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe the bump in numbers is just a normalization of the new style and the new thing and the new, the new crassness or whatever you want to call it. Just normalization. People are kind of used to it and saying, ah, what the heck? We haven't blown up yet. Maybe it'll be okay. And you get four or five, six points for that. Now, we do. you mentioned the Kim Jong-un visit. Didn't his impulsiveness cost him right away, and he made a bad uh, mistake by granting the interview and getting nothing for it? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't subscribe to a theory that uh, the president has done anything wrong here by trying to engage in, in sort of eliciting uh, this concession from them as well to, to meet face to face, leader to leader. I, I just, uh, I think that the president really needs to show everybody that there's a thoughtful process here and that he's just not going to wing it. And that is part of being in contact and in, in consult and in concert with uh, members of his own party and members in the Senate and the House. He needs that kind of support, not just for the stuff that they want to do, but, you know, he needs them because in 18 coming up, there is certainly a, a groundswell and you can see it. Uh, of folks thinking that the Democrats could certainly take control of the United States House of Representatives. I think Donald Trump's idea of what governance is could change drastically. It happened to President Obama in his first term. Uh, and and, and that, that, I think, is something he could head off if he's able to start talking to people and hearing what they have to say before he starts tweeting you know, major policy changes. Yeah, so it seems like he did wing it and, and be— and even though he's supposed to be a master negotiator, he gave the huge concession of granting an interview without getting anything back for it. And that seems like a mistake. That is the result of winging it, correct? Well, when you say interview, we're, we're talking about the summit, right? Yeah. Well, we don't know all the details, and I think that's also important. You know, we can't make overall judgments about who got what. The preconditions of this summit are as unknown to us as the location and the time. And when we think about it, 
you know, it, we're not going to do it there. It's not going to happen here. We're thinking probably a third party location. Maybe that's in South Korea. Maybe it's who knows. But uh, the, the, the North Korean leaders recent travel to China to Beijing complicates some of the stagecraft of where this is going to happen and when. And I, I guess one thing as a former production chief at the White House that I'm thinking about is that if the perception is that the president's given up a lot just by granting the summit, he certainly needs to stage this in a way that uh, gives him a powerful symbol, don't you think? Yes, I do. I think you're right. I think there's a very good chance, actually. It, look, it was good enough for the Chinese president. Exactly. Ping, uh, and it, it was good enough for uh, President Putin, who we think might show up, um, he's had all the other foreign leaders come around the White House and down there. It's a very prestigious place to be with this president. And I think that perhaps it could work. Um, it's certainly a safe place, something that they can secure. Uh, but I, I also wonder uh, whether you get the seriousness of a first meeting between these two clearly nuclear armed adversaries. And I think that's important. If people are out there thinking, oh, we're just talking politics, it's not lost on me and it shouldn't be lost on anyone else, that the North Koreans have been testing intercontinental ballistic missiles with uh, nuclear capabilities. And this is a real threat now. And President Trump is confronting it in, in reality and in real time. And no previous U.S. president's ever had to deal with something like this before. I can just see it down there, actually. He's comfortable with it, and I bet you he thinks that it would impress Kim Jong-un to be invited to his home. We'll see. If it happens, we'll see. I will, I'll, if it happens, I'll get big points. I, just, I couldn't help but thinking that, that the situation with tariffs and the potential trade war with China might somehow play into this triangle between the U.S. and China and North Korea. But I really... Don't understand how that might happen. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I think, you know, I don't want to lie to you. I don't have any big grand thoughts on All that right. topic. But, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, just to share a story, some of the most fun times I ever had with President Bush were up at Camp David. And there's certainly a storied history there uh, and something while this president hasn't spent very much time there at all could also be a possible alternative to Mar-a-Lago yeah, for us to consider. You could chew on that with the callers. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, too. I just can't picture the president wanting to leave the comfort of his East Coast, anyway, and go out somewhere like Malta or Reykjavik or something. All right. And with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
What about uh, the potential of a, an upcoming meeting with Vladimir Putin? That's a, that's another thing that you would have to deal with if you had your old job. Well, we yeah, absolutely. Um, and there there's uh, so and I tell you, these kind of things usually take place and get planned in nine to 10, 12 month uh, advances. You have an idea as you build towards a meeting like this. And so much of it gets negotiated before it ever gets put on the calendar. And that's when you spring into action and, and you know put together all of the uh, uh, choreography and all of the visual elements to support a meeting like this. But in this case, once again, it looks like President Trump is really moving quickly, and he's doing it in a way that he feels comfortable. It's the way he's always done business. And this is something I think you know we're, we're hearing about it now. I think that's because it's going to happen this year. And if you, if you enjoyed the uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov and the former Russian Ambassador to the U.S. Kislyak in the Oval Office with the president, you're really going to love Chapter 2 uh, when, they, when they bring out uh, Putin himself. Yeah, man, that's going to be some high theater there. All right. Um, before, I guess we can go into what you do. Uh, Adam has a cool office up on, oh, what street is it? Pennsylvania? 600 block of Pennsylvania, is it? Yeah, Pennsylvania Avenue. Yeah. EFB Advocacy. And we are a, a group who helps you know work on all kinds of issues and causes and advocate for change in our government and our laws. And uh, we do it with a mix of communication and what they, you know, that sort of four-letter word, lobbying. Which right. means really getting in there and talking to members of Congress and helping them understand what people are going through and why the change is needed. Right. When we th think of lobbying, we think of people hanging around in the lobby with wads of cash <laughs> saying, hey, what do you think about that oil drilling bill or something like that? There's more to it than that. There are more ways to influence opinion, more subtle ways or artistic ways, and you were involved in those. And I and I thought it might be cool to talk about what you're doing with H-2B visas as as an example. H-2B visas are non-immigrant visas, uh, which allow people to work, I believe, in non-agricultural jobs, and that would include working in a restaurant. And we, we use a lot of that kind of help seasonally, for example, on Martha's Vineyard, where I used to work in a restaurant and other places, and I guess there are not enough of them, and there are parties that want that there to be more of them. And you, your job, one of your jobs is to ha make that happen, correct? Well, we're working on that problem. And, uh, you know, it, if you're in Massachusetts and, and you enjoy time at, down on, on the Cape in the summers, you have some idea of, you know, the folks that come in to help make those businesses happen and wait tables and do do all kinds of jobs and, and when we think about people coming in to do these part-time or seasonal jobs they're not immigrants these people are not living in the country they're here for a job and they go out again and there is just a sliver uh, by percentage of labor in this space but the the people who need these these people these workers they can't get americans to do the jobs and if you remember what it was like getting a summer job when you were a kid that's not what's going on out there today. People are not taking jobs even at fifteen, sixteen, seventeen dollars an hour to do landscaping work and to to work long restaurant shifts. And so these jobs are important to business owners and to all of the staff, Bradley, yeah. that that they employ all the time. 
right? So these are American workers who suddenly their job's on the line because the whole business is going to fold. So why is there a shortage? Well, it's, it's just a numbers game in Washington. It's politics. You know, every year these guys uh, in all the businesses and mostly small businesses across our nation uh, who utilize this program, uh, they, they ask for about 100,000 uh, visas to have people come in and out just for seasonal periods in the first part of the year, second part of the year, some of its forestry, some of its other really labor intensive jobs. But um, when those people go out again, it, it sort of gets back to zero every year. So they only allot 66,000 every year, but the capacity in the marketplace is really like 150,000. And so they can't even get the kind of surety that you need to run a business for year to year because the Department of Labor and now it looks like the White House is just trying to kill this this uh, cap relief. And it's up right now up to the Department of Homeland Security. But ultimately, we're just telling stories about business owners and people who are getting hurt because the government's just not responding. And you know what? There's a lot of support in the Massachusetts caucus. Uh, in Senator Markey and others who, who understand how it impacts people in Massachusetts are saying, hey, let's make a change. This is a bipartisan issue. Right. And why would I guess the White House would put a uh, work to keep the cap in place because they perceive it somehow as immigration or they believe other people will see it as immigration or a comp competition for jobs. Is that it? You know what? It's like the subtlety here is lost in a world where everything is just in such, you know, uh, tweet focused uh, and, and fast speed from the White House. Right. And Trump, it's a, a ham fisted, unnuanced world right now. Right. So so President Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort uh, relies heavily on H2B visas. Oh, my. You think the president understands and he's actually full throatedly defended the program when he was running for president. And suddenly now the politics isn't so good. But his businesses are getting the ones that they need, right? They get those visa allotments, and they find people who are really competent who can come in to do a job. God bless them. They can't get other people to do those jobs, and they're proving it to the state and all the other regulations. But it's the other businesses that are really hurting, and they can't make it work. And since it's working for the president, people are saying, please, you know, tell everyone else that there is something not wrong here, that this is not – part of this extreme vetting you're talking about. This is, you know, good, hardworking people coming in, doing a job, supporting business and the economy and going home again. And uh, that's what they're hoping for. And I, I think the president could do it. But yeah, often ham-fisted. And, uh, and this one has not been a winning issue for people who thought they had a supporter in him. So here's how I met Adam. I, we have a common friend who's a guitar player, and uh, Adam's been on the show before. And when I went down to D.C., I made sure to find my way to Adam's door. And uh, he was kind enough to allow me to come to where he works up there on Pennsylvania Avenue. Very laid back kind of blocks, really cool. Go in there, greeted in a friendly manner. And uh, first question is, do you want some of that nitro coffee? You, first, you guys have this really good, really good iced coffee. Had some of that. And then I sat down and, and you, you would putting together a podcast is a part of what you do, a big part of what you do. And another part of what you do is you uh, create and distribute videos that help explain a point. And that's where I saw you in the sort of video editing room and you took time out to speak with me. It was, it was fascinating. And then you made me understand what you were doing with the H2B visas. And 
maybe you can walk through that process a little bit in in detail of actually how you decide what how to get the message across i mean someone hires you because they think you can help them influence and then you figure out how to do it and in this case you shot the video who how do people find you first of all and who tends to hire you well uh you know the the work that we do and, and the clients that we have are issues that we really care about one of them uh, that we work a great deal on and we do a lot of production for is a group called United for Medical Research. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a group of private companies and universities who have come together in common cause just to advocate for more federal funding for the National Institutes of Health. And that really means giving more money to uh, biomedical research. And just the other day, <clears throat> Congress passed this omnibus bill, which I know you guys talked about, but within that was a really strong budget allocation, $3 billion uh, in additional funds going to the National Institutes of Health. And I could tell you chapter and verse about why that is the best investment that we could make, uh, along with all the other investments. Right. This one is really a great return for Americans and quality of life and for bending the cost curve in healthcare. Uh, we lead the world in this, and every dollar we put in gets like $7 out, plus we're healing people. Uh, so it's a great thing. But And you were pretty successful then. That was partly you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm not just tooting our own horn saying that this is a win for our client. It, it is, but it's really a win for everybody who, who thinks that we shouldn't take our eye off the ball of our scientific and medical and research enterprise in the United States, that if we stop taking our foot off the gas there, uh, people will pass us by and we know it's one of the most you know, powerful engines of our economy. And this is great to see that Congress can come together and get that kind of thing done. Uh, you know how much money the president asked for? He wanted a huge cut uh, in that budget and he was just flat wrong about that. And you know it happens, right? You get presidents of your own party you disagree with. Thankfully, Democrats from Massachusetts and from New Hampshire and Rhode Island and Connecticut uh, all came together. They voted for it along with so many Republicans, uh, obviously driving that budget home. But that's the kind of thing, and you have to tell those stories just the way they do very well up there in Massachusetts, especially in Boston, with the, the hospitals there. So contrary to, I think, popular belief, it's not always offering some sort of incentive it's simply making legislators aware of a situation. Well, ultimately, they're all beholden to their voters. Don't think they're not. They're running for a re-election constantly. And it's important that they remember that they've got to listen to what people are thinking and, and feeling and, and, and looking for back home. And so connecting folks, their stories, what's challenging about the law or the policy that needs to change with their member mm -hmm. and letting him really feel it, that's the job. Ah, to make you to make them understand how this issue affects their constituents. Yeah, every single one of them. And, you know, it, it's something that, that every small organization is trying to do. Not everyone is a broadcaster the way that you are or that WBZ is or the way that I am. Uh, I was with ABC television for a very long time. 
and you know, learning how to tell a story visually and to create video and original motion graphic content to tell a story in a compelling way that you can put out on social media. There are a lot of people doing it, but not in a substantive, interactive, truly uh, worthy way. And that that's kind of the space that we fill. We're looking for clients. Don't get me wrong. Right. Uh, but we, we love to be able to take on important issues and help make a positive change for what, what we're all doing in America. Now you shoot the video yourself. That's a, a question. And uh, you, I've seen you edit it yourself as well. You're very hands-on. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's come to a point where, uh, when I got started in television, it was a WCVB out there in Needham. Uh, and, uh, back when Chet and Matt were doing the news and I was ripping scripts and running around as an intern and, uh, went on to do a whole lot of other jobs before I landed running ABC's Good Morning America in Washington. And there is no question, Bradley, that <laughs> you've got to be able to pick up a camera these days. You've got to be able to record your own audio, run your own board. Uh, our mutual friend, Joe Matthew, uh, who I used to love watching uh, on the crossover with you in the mornings uh, at the end of this show, uh, is that kind of guy. And I think we all have to be uh, because no one else is going to do it for you unless you can pay their paycheck. Do you find that video is, I guess you do find that video is the best way to make le uh, lawmakers understand what affects their, their folks at home. Let's see. Is that the, the method of choice? Yes. And, and Mark Zuckerberg will tell you the same thing, by the way, uh, his platform, nobody has more vision on, on what the consumption of video is except for YouTube. And uh, the difference between those two platforms nationally versus internationally uh, are very interesting politically, because, and that's why you saw Trump focus so, so cleanly on uh, Facebook, because that's where everybody is, and, and you can sort of slice and dice that audience, and, and that's a whole other topic for discussion. But really, people are consuming unbelievable amounts of live news. You know, Marco Lavallo who is the producer of this show, is also one of the guys behind the, one of the best first live webcast shows, The Crossover. You guys are, 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 are content providers and have been doing it for a real long time really well. Thanks. So besides making you the You want to go there? I'm trying to compliment you Well, guys. thank you I'm very like, much. Oh, no, one's, no one's biting. I appreciate that. Yeah, the, it is interesting. With Facebook Live and now Twitter Live and even Instagram Live, Everyone has a, an actual television show in their pocket. It's, it's quite absolutely, it's you know, remarkable. If, if you uh, and I don't, I know that you sort of sleep weird hours because you work in the middle of the night. Mm. But you know, for a lot of people, we're not near a television. And if you just take something that happened in the last two days, everybody who was sort of connected by their telephone saw that there was this shooting that happened at the YouTube headquarters in California. And the phones were flooded with live news footage, and ABC was up, and CBS was up, and everybody was broadcasting on Facebook. Wow. Uh, it, it truly feels like every television station has become transcendent, and everyone can see anything they want right there in their in the pocket of their, their pants. And it's their kind phone. of a, an equalizer, too, because... Television station, a radio station has access to Facebook Live, as does the TV station. And TV stations are starting to use that, as are we. So the radio and the TV kind of getting equalized out as far as the visual, the ability to put out 
visual media. Once you make the videos, by the way, back to your job, these, these high-quality videos, how do you, the next step is to make sure that the lawmaker sees the video. That's part of your, your challenge as well. How do you do that? Well, there are two or three ways that you want to achieve this. And one of them is, and maybe the most direct is if you have a one-on-one relationship with a lawmaker or senior staff and you can literally pass that link along and say, hey, I want to show you this or share it with them in person, that's a really one-to-one kind of intimate way to pass that kind of material along. And trust me, a lot of these committees and lawmakers are really interested in learning about issues, and so that can work. But for the rest of us in the real world, it means marketing our videos to people who have interests that align with the messages we're trying to send, and then also maybe cross-referencing that with where they work. You could geo-target to folks who are in D.C. who are employed by the federal government or work within a certain zip code around Capitol Hill or the White House, and begin to narrow in on the, the potential pool of folks that you hope would be able to consume this. And then the third way is, of course, it's a small world, right? It's a networked world, especially here in the swamp. And if you've got enough people in your own circle and they start to share it in what we call a friends of friends world, Mm. uh, that's a small circle and you can blanket that easily. And that's a very low cost way. But those are the tactics that people are using. Those are the things that we implement uh, to take really high quality content that's persuasive that's educational and can advocate for a, an issue or a cause and get it in front of the right people in Washington. And I saw Adam's video concerning the H2B visas, and it's super impressive. It took you, you had to go around the country and shoot that thing at considerable expense. Well, it does take, uh, and you see this, you know, with, with large consumer brands. If people knew what it costs to produce the 30 second commercials mm-hmm. um, that they watch, I mean, we're talking about you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, it looks great. Adam, I have, we're, we're, we're out of time. We're up against it. All right. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on. Adam Belmar is our new, our new friend and he's going to be back. And uh, every time I go visit him, I'll tell you all about what we did and everything. Looking forward to talking to you again. Adam Belmar, partner at EFB Advocacy. And we found out today what that's all about. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Okay. It's WBZ News Radio 1030. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.